and we're glad you're here and made it through the rain. Please uh, join me in singing our first hymn, number 579, The Church's One Foundation, 579.
Christ. Let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the promise, image to the praise and glory of his name. Excuse me. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our heart stand for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. Responsive Psalm reading, Psalm 146, which you can find in the insert of your order of worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing praise to God, my God, as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way, the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. Our second hymn this morning is 680, Lift High the Cross, hymn 680.
first reading today comes from Amos. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from 1 Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. If you would stand with me as we read our gospel reading. Luke 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate, he was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in in the water and cool my tongue because I'm in great agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime 
You received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you were in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, of Christ. You may be seated. What would it take for you to be completely satisfied in life? Are your desires leading you to destruction? Or in other words, are you your worst enemy? Two questions that I want to consider today and a point. Our recognition of Jesus miraculously leads us to eternal life. Okay, so let me repeat that. What would it take for you to be completely satisfied? Are your desires leading you to destruction? And third, our recognition miraculously leads us to eternal life. Our second reading this morning from 1 Timothy, starting in chapter 6, verse 6. Paul's speaking to Timothy, who is is a pastor of a church. We have every reason to think that he was young. Paul is, is older later in his ministry, as he makes reference to. In verse 6, he says, Godliness with contentment equals great gain. Oftentimes, godliness might come with the expectation that it's acknowledged. For example, you may see on social media of someone filming themselves giving a homeless person money with the expectation that people will comment and say, well done for doing good. Or maybe it's in the form of payment. There are a lot of examples of churches that teach a specific message in order to receive money. Godliness with a big paycheck, for example. But Paul's talking about something. He's not talking about payment. He's not talking about notoriety. He's not talking about acknowledgement from an outside source, but rather being godly and being content with just being godly for godliness sake. Why? Because motivations are pure that way. You see, someone who wants to be godly for godliness sake can't be bought. 
Their allegiance is to something higher than money or prestige or maybe even power. If you notice in verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take, we can take nothing out of it. If we gloss over this and and read quickly to verse 8, we may miss the point that Paul's trying to make, and that's that we're not of this world. We didn't bring anything in, we're not going to bring anything out. We don't belong here. It's kind of like if you go to your friend's house and you're walking out, you're leaving after maybe a meal or something, you said, oh, I forgot my coat. And what are the people always, they always, you always get asked this when you leave something. They say, well, did you bring it with you? If you didn't bring it in, you can't leave it behind. Yeah? We aren't of this world. The things that we hold on to tightly sometimes are not permanent. But he gets into more of an argument here. In verse 9, he says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. In other words, people that are motivated by earthly things, money, fall. And unlike the person who does godliness and does godly work with his own contentment or her own contentment that cannot be bought, those who seek money or do things in the attempt to gain material things will do whatever it takes to get that thing that they really want. You see, our foolish desires lead us to ruin and destruction. Take a second. And think, are your desires, are your individual passions leading you to destruction or is it leading you to godliness for godliness sake? Verse 10 is probably one of the most incorrectly quoted verses of the Bible. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Actually, the NIV translates this pretty well here. Oftentimes you might hear, for the love of money is the root of all evil. But in the original language here, there isn't a uh, definite article. It definitely is a root. But it's not necessarily saying it's the source of all things, but every kind, as the NIV suggests. It is a root of every type of evil. In other words, it has the potential to be the root of all things where it could go, where those motivations and desires go. All sorts. So as we consider all sorts, what can money bring? I'll start with the men. Without being too crass, money often brings women. It brings power. It brings the desire to flaunt or have the appearance of authority. 
flashy cars, right? big houses. On the other hand, and this is not coming from experience because I, I have no claims to say that I understand women in any regard. But what does money perhaps, this is just from my perspective, what might money cause women to seek or what money could bring a woman? Maybe attention from other women. Maybe some ability to enhance their beauty or to enhance their power or their independence. Maybe they're, unlike the man who wants to appear authoritative, maybe the woman wants to appear more beautiful than the next woman. If you notice all of these things, authority, power, beauty, appearance, they're all things that God claims for himself, that he holds attributes of him, authority, power, beauty, worthy of adoration. See, oftentimes the pursuit of money causes us to switch somewhere into what money brings us, which is often the very things that are reserved for God. When we live our lives day to day, do you know when you're hungry? Of course you do. It hits me at 11.56, 35 seconds every day. I feel that pang of it's lunchtime. What about when you are tired? Your eyes start to get heavy. Maybe it's during a movie that you're trying to relax after work or you always know when you're sleepy and you need to go to sleep. And you know very, very clearly when you haven't got enough sleep. Maybe this morning. But how do you discern if your spirit is tired? How do you determine if your spirit is hungry? As much as we need food and as much as we need sleep, our spirit needs feeding. And the pursuit of money is often that attempt to feed that which doesn't satisfy. Because you see, if the love of money is greater than the love of God, then money will be chosen over God. And I don't, I don't want to oversimplify this and say that money is bad any more than food or sleep is bad. But let's take a second and reflect on what Jesus has done. Now if we look at verse 10, at the second part it says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, is the same way as the attributes of the human desire to get money, power, authority, beauty, or attributes of God, this too is somewhat of a hint to Jesus, wandering from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
You see someone who's wandering or looking for things that they're searching for are often lost. And that search for things that don't satisfy often cause harm to the individual in that pursuit of the, the search. But unlike that person who's wandering who harms themselves, Jesus is making a beeline for earth to pierce himself with many griefs. You see, we wander and look for things to satisfy and often harm ourselves in the process. And Jesus harms himself in order to bring you what satisfies in the process. Jesus chose his love of us over his divine rights. Which is interesting enough, what he asks of you, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny what you are passionate about at, at your rawest level and choose to follow eternal life, me, instead. Now Paul's talking specifically to Timothy, who is a, a pastor, he's a leader. So he addresses him directly. But you, man of God, which I think we can contextualize and say, man of God, woman of God, as readers, flee from all this. The true man and the woman of God flees from temptation. The desire to choose something over God. Places the pursuit of evil with the pursuit of virtue in verse 11. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. What is it, O oh man or a oh woman of God, that you need to replace in your life with these things? I'll go first. I struggle with loving individuals because I'm selfish a lot of the time. And I sometimes don't have endurance or patience because I want things to happen my way in a very efficient way. I get frustrated when things don't work out the way I plan. I'm oftentimes too direct. I'm oftentimes unloving in the way I speak. I need to replace my sense of urgency and my sense of declaring what's true or right in my own mind with gentleness. I know this passage is about money, but I'm talking about my passions. Not just passions like I want to go out and drink a lot or I want to go out and do drugs. Or I, it's, it's, not, it's not Satan showing up in a limo and saying, get in, wink, wink, wink. It's not always so obvious. You see, our passions or our desires or our temptations are often sometimes the way we think, our feelings. I don't want to do that today. That, that voice, that feeling in your mind and that, you, that you may even hear inside your head is just as powerful as the external temptation from 
an evil character with horns on his head holding it up and saying, you want this. You want this apple from the tree, don't you? It's not always so blatant. You see, we could actually be our own worst enemy. That the temptation doesn't come from outside, but it could be even just our own feelings of, I don't want to love that person today. And I would rather not use the power of God to speak gentle. Instead, I just want to say my point. Maybe I don't care how it comes across. What is it in your life that you need to replace with this list? Also, know this. You and I can flee evil, and we can still not be satisfied with good. We can flee all the temptations from the devil and fight everything that our natural body wants to do that's against God, and we can still not be satisfied with good. That's called legalism. And James calls it vain religion. It's going through the motions, the appearance of our own self's sense of worth or whatever, that we're holy, I've avoided, oh, I don't do that. I wouldn't lower myself to do that. Well, are you happy? Are you satisfied with God? Are you full of joy and peace? Well, no, but I avoid all bad things. It's legalism. One of Jesus' most worthy opponents in the Gospels. Verse 12. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight. Not just temptation without, but within. Take hold of eternal life. Eternal life is something that I often misunderstood growing up, and maybe you do too. Eternal life isn't necessarily about duration. It's more about degree. It's not about the quantity of time, but the quality. We focus on the eternal part, forever, when it's really speaking to the extent of life. When he says, take hold of eternal life, he's not saying guarantee your place in heaven, although that could mean that. But he's saying right now, take hold of what God has given you, as opposed to the things that we want to pursue, like money and power and authority. In the same way that when you get hungry at 12, 56, 35, Or when you get sleepy at midnight, or for some of us, 9.30, at the same time, take hold of the opportunity to feed yourself spiritually. What does it take for you to be totally satisfied, and are you your own worst enemy? Lastly, A recognition of Jesus leads us to eternal life. 
He says in verse 13, In the sight of God, who gives life to everything in, in Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, he says this, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame. What's the claim? What, what did Jesus say to Pontius Pilate that was so powerful? He said, I am he. I am the Lord. Not Caesar, me. Yes, I am being accused of this. Yes, I am he. And notice that when we make that profession, when we make that confession that Jesus is Lord, then we are also saying it is not me. It is not me. I'm not going to pursue the things of the world in order to appear like God. Power, beauty, authority. Our recognition of Jesus leads us to eternal life. Paul, no accident, says, God, the blessed only ruler, king of kings, lord of lords. These are titles that the Babylonians and the Assyrian kings gave themselves. Specifically, we could take an example of Nebuchadnezzar, who was constantly referring to how much he's accomplished and how much wealth he's gained. Sadly enough, all this, becoming satisfied in God and struggling through the things that we need to replace and fill God with. Verse 15, he says, which God will bring about in his own time, which takes me back to endurance, which takes me back to gentleness and faith, that all these things don't happen on my time. They happen on God's time. And endurance is something real that all of us could benefit from, considering the temptations not just from the outside, but from within. To endure, to flee, he says, to flee from what we naturally want to do in the flesh. Are you enduring? A couple more things. Verse 17. He says, the, the rich are not to hope in wealth. You see, oftentimes for rich people, they pursue money in order to get things. Some things that we've named. And once you get enough money and you get enough of the things, or more than that you could possibly need, it starts to become about money. Money becomes a, a means to get something, but once you get things, a lot of things, you end up kind of wanting to just get more money for the sake of money. And that's something that the poor never understand. Because the poor are always thinking about what they need. If I had, if only had this money, I'd pay my rent and my food and, and maybe send my kids to college. 
They look at the rich person, they say, I could never be excessive like that because they only think about what they would use the money for, but the rich understand and they find themselves in a place where they don't need any more money, but they still pursue it because it brings them some sense of, Paul says, arrogance. Both of them, the poor and the rich, are affected by money, but in different ways, you see. It causes the poor to be judgmental of the rich, and it causes the rich to be irresponsible and become arrogant. Verse 19, take hold of what is truly life. What would it take for you to be totally satisfied today, in this moment? And are your desires, maybe it's money, maybe it's something that money can buy, maybe it's something else. Is that leading you to destruction? Is it leading you to your own self-harm in your pursuit of something that you think is going to help you? Is it actually not helping you? Are you your own worst enemy? And please understand that our recognition of who Jesus is, specifically that he is Lord and that we are not, miraculously leads us to eternal life. Not just in the sweet by and by, but eternally now. The full extent. As much as the Spirit allows. Paul continues on with with Timothy, verse 17 onward. He's command, 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 18, command. I don't want to do that. You can read those on your own. I want to reason with you. And the reason I want to reason with you is because when I read passages like this, I have to reason with myself that oftentimes I am not seeking what's best for me. Even though it seems like it's maybe tastes the sweetest. that sometimes I am my worst enemy. We'll take a time of silence for reflection and prayer uh, right now. Two things I would suggest focusing on for myself included. What in my life needs to be replaced? If you're fleeing from evil, are you satisfied? Or are you just fleeing evil for evil's sake because you've been taught to do that? That's what nice Christians do. And third, how can you recognize the supremacy of Christ this week? have a think and then recite the Apostles' Creed together. If you would, stand with me please as we recite the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. 
We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He ascended into hell. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Father, we thank you for Christ and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the down payment of the Holy Spirit, which is just a taste of eternal life. Pray that we would take hold of that, that this church would be a people, that we would be a people that sought godliness and were content with that alone. Because really, you've given us so much already, and more is to come. God, give us the power to trust that, to hope that, maybe even for the first time today. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
We pray for those who are in power, who have money, who have the authority and the ability to make differences in the world. We pray that they would not be arrogant, as this text says. Use their power and authority for the good of others. God, I pray that those who are in need now and today, maybe in this room, that we would be patient, that we would endure, that we would be gentle, that we would live righteous lives. Give us that strength. You've given us that strength. Allow us to take hold of that. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our final hymn this morning is number two, As the Deer. Hymn number two.
receive the Lord's benediction. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.